Hey, it's Shaf here. Welcome to my channel, Shafian Iqbal Podcast. I will be chatting with a teacher of deaf and how passionate she is about her role, teacher deaf children, all this and more. Now, let's welcome my guest, Beth Bruma. How are you? I'm doing okay. I've got a slight cold, but other than that, I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good. Just tired. I came back from London. Oh, okay. Long <laughs> journey. Yeah. Why do you want to be a teacher? Well, since I was about six, I think, I knew that I wanted to work with children, even though I was still a child myself. I loved school. I felt quite safe in its environment. And I was very conscientious. And I just knew that it was a career that I could potentially go into. You know, when children are little, some people say, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a train driver, I want to be a fireman. I wanted to be a teacher from quite a young age, although at that point, I didn't know that I was going to become a teacher of the deaf. So as I got older, I still wanted to be a teacher. I went to university, I did my Bachelor of Education, Bachelor of Arts Education. But when I was doing my degree, I got a little bit disillusioned because I had a difficult experience on one of my teaching practices and it kind of knocked my confidence. So when I got to the end of my degree, I thought maybe teaching isn't for me. It was a bit of a bump in the road. So I ended up working as a teaching assistant in College Gwent for about six months until they couldn't afford to keep me anymore. And then I thought about going down the route of becoming a British Sign Language interpreter. I started my level one, level two. And then my brother saw an advert for a teaching assistant at Anishin High School. And I was just coming to the end of my level two. And I had my level two exam the same day as I have my interview for Lanishan High. Oh, wow. So I was not nervous at all for my interview. I was more stressed for my exam. So I went, did my exam up at Barry College, and then I went straight from there to Lanishan. I had my interview and I got the job. And then over the years that I was working there, I mean, you'll remember the teachers, Mrs. Whitaker, Mrs. Postens, they both encouraged me strongly because I had a qualification as a teacher to do my teacher the deaf training. And initially I resisted it. But then the uh, sort of wore me down. And then in 2008, I started to do my Teach the Deaf training. I loved working on this and I loved working with the deaf slash even impaired students. And I guess they felt because I had the degree, I should use that degree. Anyway, so I did that part time, working full time at school. And it was hard, but it was worth it. And I should also say that I guess my love for the deaf community has come from my dad. My dad is profoundly deaf. Here, my mum's hearing and all my siblings are hearing. And really, he has been sort of an inspiration to work with deaf people. I grew up around deaf people. My dad was a missioner to the deaf at the church we attended. And I've always been around deaf people. I didn't learn to sign, obviously, till I left university. But yeah, those are probably the mixture of the reasons why. That's so interesting. Did you learn a lot of sign with your father? No, my dad's a funny one. So when my dad was born, he was born hearing. And he was born quite premature. He was born just after Second World War. And we believe that the medication they gave him damaged his hearing. Back then, there wasn't a screening like there is now. So his mum and dad didn't realise that he had hearing loss until he was nine, which is a lot of time where he's not picking up incidental language and he wasn't having hearing aids. A cochlear implants weren't a thing back then. So he went to mainstream school. And then as he grew older, he was very much in the hearing community. He met my mum, they got married. And when we were kids, my dad was very much, you know, obviously deaf, obviously he learnt sign language when he was sort of in his late teens, early 20s, involved in the deaf community to a point because of his mission work. But when we were growing up, my dad didn't really sign with us. 
he kind of, I suppose, identified more with the human community, but he also was involved with the deaf community. But because he hadn't been sort of involved with deaf clubs and whatnot as he was, as a child, it was difficult for him. So I remember as a child learning to do the fingerspelling. I definitely learned that when I was about eight. And I remember learning to do the uh, deaf-blind alphabet. I used to communicate with a lady, amazing lady, deaf-blind, lived on her own. She used to come to my mum and dad's meetings and I remember chatting with her and she had a dent in the middle of her hand from where people had, I guess, been doing, you know, the fingerspelling. She was amazing. And she could predict what you were going to say before you finished saying it. But it wasn't until I left uni that I decided to go to night class and learn it. And interestingly, my dad actually came along with me. We did level one and level two together. So he got the proper qualifications and then he went on to become a BSL teacher. He's retired now because he's 75, but he had to go in his 50s to Cardiff Met and do a postgraduate course to do adult teaching, which was pretty, you know, I was pretty proud of him for doing that in his 50s. He used to write all of his assignments by hand. He's completely computer illiterate. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. So what qualities do you have which would make you an effective teacher? Well, I am a big kid, for sure. I have a very youthful outlook on life. And I guess I have quite a good sense of humour. I also feel very passionate about learning through fun. So when I was doing my Teacher the Deaf training, there was a guest speaker who came to speak about the importance of learning through fun. And it was quite, it had quite an effect on me, that, that talk. I don't remember exactly what she said because it was about 15, 14, 15 years ago. But I just thought to myself, yeah, that's the way I want to go. So I look at the child as an individual. I don't look at them as, you know, an entity of other, other children in their year group or just a person that I have to educate. I think, right, what is the best way to teach this child? What are they interested in? What do they love? What are they passionate about? Because if you make your teaching dry and you're just teaching for the sake of teaching, then being taught is not an enjoyable experience. So I try and do things like fun science. We do cooking. I teach them life skills about money and all that sort of thing. I try to have lots of display. I mean, you remember. I, one thing I remember particularly with you, because listeners, you may not realise I taught Safian. I remember you were struggling with geography and we did a whole thing about the flood. Do you remember I did a display on the flood oh yeah I remember yeah. that one yeah. yeah yeah so I think from early on it's definitely got better as I've got more experience as a teacher but from early on it was very much right visual teaching we want it to be hands-on we want it to be broken down into a way that you understand for the individual child so yeah I guess I'm very I try and put myself in the situation of that child and think what would I like to do and I've got to say I do enjoy the lessons myself <laughs> I think if I'm enjoying it you're enjoying it <laughs> you do that more in the classroom or you doing in your own deaf unit? I do it in my classes. Well, I very rarely go out to supporting class now. I'm mostly teaching in my classroom up in the uh, hearing impaired resource space. So yeah, I just like to do a lot of, obviously I do the English and the maths, I do the basics. That's very important as well. You know, you need to be able to read and to do basic maths. Those are the building blocks of education. But I do very much like to do things in a way that you're learning in an enjoyable way. And I like to take the students out, you know, not so much now since COVID. We did a lot of trips before COVID. We can do them again now, but I guess it's fallen off because of COVID. But I like to take the children to the shops and it'll be like, right, find me this, find me that. Just getting them to interact and think just because I'm hearing impaired or deaf doesn't mean I can't do it. Let's find a way that you are comfortable with doing it. That's amazing what you do there. As I like that what you do to make sure that to get comfortable is important. Nice one. So what is your favourite subject and why? My favourite subject, what, to learn or to teach? Both. I like teaching English. English is a fun one because 
especially if you do stories so at the moment with my year sevens I'm doing the twits I absolutely love the twits Roald Dahl you know he was a literary genius and it's fun you know and it's silly and younger students love that you know that silliness and it's a nice way to get them introduced to using better adjectives and better verbs but for myself I was always really interested in history I don't I haven't had an opportunity to do any history teaching myself for a long time I used to do a little bit back in the day but I love learning about history as you mentioned that you interested in history. I would love to know what kind of history you do. Well, I don't do it now, but in the past, I've just looked at subjects that the children are interested in. So I've done about the war. I remember doing that with John, I think. And we've got a student at the moment who's in year nine who's interested in the war. I've done a little bit with him, sort of a crossover with English when he was in year seven. I like to do the, well, I call them the fun topics, but they're not necessarily fun for the people who are living in the time, like the plague. I mean, students love to learn about the plague because it was just so gross. You know, the big boils in the armpits and all that kind of thing. So I just, yeah, I don't like to do anything that's dry. Maybe, you know, I know that there there are similar subjects taught that have been taught for years and years, like the Tudors and, yeah. I know they've done pirates in, in the history department. So anything which I think the children are going to be interested in. You know, I've got students at the moment who are very much interested in football. So I would, like, look at... I haven't done it with them, but if I was going to do a history lesson with them, I would look at how football used to be. I, I think they used to fill a pig's bladder or something. They used to... I know, it sounds really gross. They would take the skin and that skin would be the outside of the football what they stuffed it with I don't know but that's one of the you know sorry to any historians if I'm getting that completely wrong but I'm pretty sure that was like one of the earliest footballs that people used to kick around and then there's the story from World War One, obviously where the Germans and the British played football on Christmas Day it would be something like that I would do that's a lot interesting to hear that thing <laughs> do you wish you could come back to school now <laughs> <laughs> oh wow maybe <laughs> Maybe not. So how would you handle a difficult student? Well, we've had a few difficult students over the years. What I find is that if you go at a child when they're feeling, when their emotions are heightened and they're angry or they're upset, that is not the right way to go. If you shout at them or, you know, sort of tell them what they're doing wrong or tell them what they need to stop doing, you need to be calm. You need to get down to their level. You know, you need to sit with them, tell them, you know, you you just want to chat, ask them what's wrong ask them what's happened. So that's what I tend to do. I don't freak out. There are times where children are particularly naughty and I do have to be quite stern with them. But you've just got to pick your battles and you've got to sort of read the room and see how that child, you know the children because you're with them day in, day out and you sort of think, right, this is a situation where I need to be more stern. This is a situation where I need to be more uh, empathetic and sympathetic. On the other hand, we also have students who we're increasingly getting students who have additional needs on top of their, their deafness or I'm teaching students from other specialist bases in the school. So we've not just got students who are deaf, we have students who are deaf, but they're also dyslexic, or they're also autistic, or they also have ADHD. So we're having to, you know, adapt according to the needs of the children. And there's a boy who I teach entry-level English to who's in year 11, and he's a lovely boy. He comes from the autistic base, and he will struggle sometimes, and he might have had something happen previously. He'll come into my lesson, and he's still on his mind. So I said to him, you know, what's the matter? He'll say a particular person's name and I'll say, look, this is what we'll do. We'll write their name or we'll write what happened on a piece of paper and then you're going to scrumple it up, you're going to rip it into pieces and it's going to go in the recycling bin. So it's like channeling their stress and their negative emotions into something else which they can physically see and then it's like that situation 
okay, it's still going to play on their mind a little bit. We're only human. We can't forget things. But then they physically put that problem into the bin. And I found that's worked quite well. And then the students are like, okay, it's almost like they've, they've had some control over the situation. They can't control the person, but they can control writing down their name or the issue and throw it in the bin. Were you aware of that before or it's quite all new to you? Like, where does the idea came from? Well, learning to work with students with additional needs on top of their deafness, I have learned as I've gone along. Autism is far more common now, ADHD is far more common now. We have had some training in the school. We've just recently done some training specifically for deaf students with autism, which was really helpful. But as far as writing the name on the piece of paper was concerned, that's just something I came up with myself. My nephew and niece are also autistic and my brother's autistic. He was diagnosed as an adult. So I guess because I'm seeing it in, outside of school with my family and seeing how my sister is having to like do the best she can for her children and my brother is having to navigate life as a newly diagnosed autistic person, although he's had it much much longer i guess in that respect i've kind of learned skills as i've gone along you have quite a lot experience there which is good to have more skills to add i guess i do i obviously the more you spend in a career in a job the more skills you do pick up and i must say i've been at lanishan for 20 years now eight years i worked as a ta there was an overlap with the ta and the teacher of the deaf and this is my fifth Hang on, 2008. In my 15th year of being a teacher of the deaf. And I must say, in the last year or so, I have felt such a boost in confidence of my abilities to do what I do. And the great thing is, hopefully, it should only continue to increase. I love my job. That's super important. You know, I'm very blessed. I realise I'm very blessed to be in a job that I love. Not just enjoy, I love. You know, there are obviously there are days where I, I get up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I want to stay in bed for another two hours. But yeah, I think enjoying the job and and sort of doing it as long as I have. I guess I have become more experienced, yeah. I can see that you love what you do and you're good at it. Keep going. You're still doing amazing at what you do. And I would love to know how do you motivate your student? Well, similarly to my answer to my previous question, I take them as an individual and I look at what they enjoy. And, you know, it doesn't take long to work out what subjects or what topics or what hobbies the children like or don't like. So we're quite top heavy with boys at the moment. So they are very much into sort of hands-on, kinesthetic, practical things. They enjoy football. They enjoy basketball. So it's sort of basing it around that. So it's pretty much sort of, again, looking at the individual child. Ah, with that, I imagine they motivated themselves more into football. Oh, yes. Football is definitely a motivation. We've sometimes had to use that as a behaviour. I don't want to say the word controller, but it's if they are being particularly naughty and you say right well tomorrow we're going to go out and play football but you've got to behave otherwise you're not going to get to do that and that that usually works oh my days that happened to me when i was student in school before lots of teacher keep saying that to me a lot often and i had to do quickly to behave and then let me play football and basketball afterward i hate that so much but I understand that it's the only way to do that. And of course, it works. Wow. And what happened? What would you do if they just keep on and on? Well, there's a protocol in school. If they keep being naughty, then obviously they can have a break time detention or a lunchtime detention 
detention or even an after-school detention. And we have, I mean, you'll remember it as inclusion when you were in school. But it's called IER now, internal, I don't know what the ER stands for. Anyway, it's an internal inclusion. So they basically get taken off timetable and they will go into the behaviour base and they will be in there all day. They don't have break time the same time as their friends. They don't have lunch time the same time as their friends. And they're sent work and they're sort of like in that room as if to say, if you're going to misbehave, then you can't be a part of the regular school community. And then if they're particularly naughty, then they get excluded for a day or two. And obviously there are treats that we do. There are trips that we do occasionally. If a student has been particularly badly behaved, we've had to say, sorry, you can't go on that trip. It's not something that we enjoy doing, but you know, they're young adults and they need to learn that with actions come come consequences. It's a life lesson, you know, and if we don't teach them that, then they're not going to be able to function as well out in society when they leave. Were you in charge of that? No, well, I mean, I'm in charge. If I want to give a student a detention, I can, but I'm following the protocol, which is set up by the senior leadership team at the school. So, yeah. How would you communicate with your students? So, orally, but also we have at least one student, he's in year nine, and he communicates only through sign language. He wasn't born in the UK. He came over to the UK, I would say, about four years ago now. So he's had to learn sign language. He's pretty bright and he, he, he does okay. So with him, I will communicate only through sign language. So yeah, it's a mixture of oral and sign language. He can talk or like, how did he learn sign language? So he has a lot of his lessons in the human impaired resource base and he will have lessons specifically on sign. He's also picked it up from the other students. Some of the other students know a little bit of sign. Yeah, and he's pretty, you know, he's a visual learner. He's pretty bright in that respect. So some of our students, they will go out for the majority of the mainstream lessons and they will only come out to us for lessons that is applied from, for example, Welsh, sometimes music, sometimes RE, depending on what subjects they want to do after discussion with their parents. Then we have other students who really struggle with the level of language and the level of what's being taught out in mainstream so they will be with us for pretty much all of the lessons apart from the practical ones so they will go out for cooking pe art drama those sorts of things and then the rest of the time they will be up with us in the base and then we really focus on vocabulary language you know basic math skills life skills you know they will have a little bit of kickback time because it's quite intense for them if they're in a lesson where it's just one of you know one to one or two to one they can't get away with not working you can daydream if you're in a mainstream class and the teacher it's hard for them to keep an eye on every single child and there's 30 children in the class so yeah they have a lot of input in the base and this young man he is having specific signing lessons has he proved his sign language or he still struggle yeah he's still learning i mean there are lots of gaps in his vocabulary but he his sign language has come on a lot more since he started when he started it was so he was in year six when it was locked down so and i think he'd only come over to the country in year five so he missed out an awful lot when he first came to the country and then when he came to us we had a little bit of a lockdown i think when he was in year seven trying to remember but yeah a lot of input now so he has improved he definitely has that's a great news seeming like you gave him a boost competent yeah and he it was hard for him i guess to kind of come from another country and then be in a school in Coyglass, then come up to us but we've really sort of hit our stride now he knows where he is we have a nice little relationship with him he, you know he can be a little bit naughty sometimes but he knows the boundaries yeah i think he feels safe with us which is great i'm glad to hear that if your student cannot communicate with you what would you do i don't know why i enjoy asking you that question i'd be interested to know your response well i've never been in a situation where a student has never 
been able to communicate at all. But I suppose one day we could have a child who comes from another country to live in the UK and they don't even have basic English. So I would go down the visual route. So if they were signing primarily, then we would look at the pictures and we would do the signs. And then I would start off with the very, very basics. Like uh, they're called CVC words, consonant, vowel, consonant. So words like dog, cat, dad, mum. And then uh, building on from that, then you would do the first 100 high frequency words and the next 200 high frequency words. You would do reading. So you'd perhaps start off with picture books. You could do picture boards, storyboards. There are lots and lots of ways of doing it, but primarily it would be very visual. And then it would just be step by step. At their pace, depending on how involved parents could be or wanted to be, then you would send them work home. I've got a girl in year seven who uh, takes reading books home with comprehension questions and she brings those back in quite regularly. So yeah, that's how I would go about it. You'd have to be very patient. You'd probably have to sort of take breaks because it'd be quite intense initially. And again, you know, you could be taking them and doing life skills with them. And then perhaps as well, bringing involved to it things from their, the knowledge that they already have. There might be things that they might eat regularly. So focus on those because they already know them. I was going to say one other thing as well. Oh yeah, when I've had students who don't know, you know, the basic names of things like fruits and vegetables, I'll bring in the fruits and vegetables. I'll go to the shop, I'll buy them, we'll try, we'll eat them, we'll touch them, we'll say, you know, how does it feel? What colour is it? So it's a hands-on visual. It's mixing all those things in together. To be honest with you, I'm feeling that it's important always to have a visual which can help knowing the answer so easily. But like you said, picture books, picture boards, storyboards, and much more. I remember that I did it somewhat. You said about the visual and I did some read book with picture in it. The words don't match the picture, which I don't understand what the words mean. So I kept it and bring to school and ask for clarify. What does that mean? And after explaining... I then fully understand with the words that describe image. Yeah, so useful. Yeah, so useful, yeah. It makes sense. That's intrigued. And how does that make you feel? I bet that is the difficult part you have to deal with. It can be hard at first because if you feel, you know, you might try one way, it doesn't work. Then you try another way and it doesn't work and you can get a bit dejected. You're like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm failing this child. I'm not doing what I should be doing. But eventually, you know, you do find a way. I found that with the boy who's now in year nine. It took me a while to find my niche with him. But now, you know, I have. We have a good relationship and we have, you know, boundaries and he feels comfortable and he enjoys uh, the lessons that we do. So, yeah, you just keep on trying because at the end of the day, that is what you're there for. You know, you keep going until you find something, until you have a breakthrough. And then once you have that breakthrough, you very often find that the improvement is quite quick. That's good to know. So tell me about time when you worked with each team to solve a problem. I think this was the question that I struggled to think of something. I should have done my revision, shouldn't I? Well, I suppose as a department, we're quite close and we we discuss the students quite regularly so there are times where you know we've struggled with perhaps the behavior issue of a student and then we discuss it together and we're like well what about we try this what about we tried that what about if they work with this person instead of that person so in that respect we've worked together as a team we'll talk about say a student is struggling with a particular subject and then we'll discuss myself and the other two, two teachers of the deaf at Lanishan. We will have regular meetings and we will say, right, this student is struggling with this. Let's pull them from mainstream 
maths, for example, teach them up there, teach them up here rather, see if they improve and if they can then go back into mainstream lessons. And sometimes that does work and sometimes they need to be with us for the long term. You know, there are students who, if they go into mainstream lessons, they are, the pace is so quick, they're really going to struggle. When they're with us in the base, we can focus completely on them and we can do it at the pace that they like, we can do it in a structure that they like. So I suppose in that respect, working as a team, you know, we always discuss the students and we say, right, you know, what have you noticed? What have you noticed? Because they can be different with different people. And if you notice that there's a particular member of staff that they get on with really well, then you can say, right, well, then perhaps they can do some intervention with them. We try to play to our strengths. You try to get to work. Have you ever had, like, prepared whatever issues, communication or any problem? So... Right from the get-go working at the school, I was able to pick up on the fact that there were things that students were struggling with or that could potentially struggle with. So, for example, when I first started working at the school 20 years ago as a teaching assistant, there was a student in year 10, profoundly deaf, BSL, first language, and there was a story that they were doing in English, a Sherlock Holmes story. The level of language was just you know, difficult for the mainstream students. It was a lower ability class and, you know, it was going to be really tough for her. So I completely rewrote the story at home so that she had it in more simple English so that she would be able to get the gist of the story without having to worry too much about that. So I guess it was a skill set that I brought in to the job because I trained as a teacher and perhaps because I am a visual learner myself and I've been around deaf people and I kind of understand a bit more about how they tick my dad has got a fantastic visual memory uh, for example so I knew that is it's not always the case but it's very often the case that deaf people will benefit more from a visual input or from simplifying things or from annotating things but then certainly over the years that has improved and we are able to pick up things much more quickly when the children come in we're like oh yeah we can see a pattern that we've seen with another student before yeah so it's been a mixture it's been I guess my natural skill set and then learning as I've gone along that's great I think you might be able to answer okay tell me about time when you helped someone became more successful oh yes I know how I'm gonna answer this one I want to take full responsibility for your success (laughs) so I think I work quite a bit with you I remember when I was doing my teacher the deaf training, we had to do a language case study and you were my one of my case studies. So I had a student who was in Grey Glass and then I chose you. So I guess with you, I'm trying, I think you were in year eight, when I, year seven, year eight. You were pretty early on in, in high school when I first started doing my teacher the deaf training. Yeah. So I remember things like you, is it all right if I tell a personal story about you? Of course you can. Feel free to share anything you want. I can't wait to hear this. Okay, all right. So you struggled a bit with social etiquette, shall we say. So the sort of rules of society about how you interact with other people. So sometimes you could get into people's personal space a little bit. So uh, Mr. Trelawney, who was the head of year, fantastic teacher. I remember us sitting down and having a meeting, me, you and Mr. Trelawney, and we did the traffic light cards. Do you remember we did that, the red and the amber and the green? Yeah, I remember that. And it was talking about, you know, the appropriate ways to behave or the appropriate ways to be with other people. And I don't think you were, you needed them for that long, but I just remember teaching you that arm's length is appropriate when you're close up to somebody. And then when you bend your arm back, so it's like, you know, bend your elbow in towards yourself, that is too close. I always remember teaching that to you. Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, you've come on so much more since then, but it was just teaching you just things that perhaps you didn't know or didn't realize so that you were able to interact with your peers and members of staff appropriately. And then, yeah, I can't really, I can't really, in all seriousness, take, you know, all the credit for how you've turned out because 
that's on you that's on your family that's on the other people who helped you after you left school but yeah that's an example of when I you know I tried to help a student <laughs> yeah I remember all that thing before it's quite a long time ago it is yeah when I met Mr. Trenoni yeah I've always called it mesh <laughs> yes <laughs> that sometimes happens with our students they get the uh Mrs. and Mr. and Sir mixed up, but it does have some funny consequences. I think I was that time where I don't know what the difference between Mr. Mish, Mitch. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I think you do now, so that's obviously a success story, isn't it? Yeah, I remember when I do something in your classroom and you always give me a chocolate. I don't remember this scene. What was that? Why did I give you a chocolate? That's quite a gift because I love chocolate. I don't usually share. <laughs> You did, you remember that in a bottle jar. Okay. I don't know, but something in there, I think, every time you get filled up or doing good and you gave me a chocolate. Yeah, that does, there's like a reward sort of thing. Yeah, that's something that I use sometimes. I haven't used it so much of late, but yeah, I used to do like a reward. If you reached a certain point, then you got a prize. That does ring a bell. How many chocolate bars did you get? Loads. Did you? <laughs> so that yeah. obviously works, isn't it? I think you gave me quite a lot. Okay. I would never forget that. Oh, that's nice. Tell me about time when you employed another person to your satisfaction. Okay. So we've had a couple of student teacher teachers of the deaf who've come in and I've mentored them. So they've come in as part of their training and they've done a teaching practice placement with us. So yeah, there've been a couple of those and then I've observed them and I've given them, evaluated their lessons and whatnot. We have a teaching assistant at the school at the moment who is hoping to go on to become a qualified teacher of the deaf. She'll have to do a PGCE, get a bit of teaching experience and then do her teacher of the deaf training. And she has said that she wants to be like me when she's a teacher of the deaf. And that made me cry actually when she said that. I was... I remember she texted me and saying, you know, how I inspire her and, you know, she didn't use the exact words, but I remember being quite touched because if you can inspire somebody, I always wanted to be somebody who built people up, not put them down because I had that experience when I was in my first teaching practice, which really shook my confidence. And I remember making a promise to myself, I was 19 years old, I made a promise to myself, I will never treat somebody, you know, that they feel badly about themselves or that they're not good enough. So yeah, that's how I've influenced somebody professionally, I guess. Yeah. I think it's not many role models in that time. Like myself, I'm not seeing any role model. I look up and then I know what I'm doing. What, as a deaf adult? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it's been really important to me to have you start coming in for our initially our boys students our male students to come in and do mentoring with them to have a good deaf role model sometimes it can be very isolating for the students we do we've had a base at the school for about 40 years and we do have a decent number of deaf students but yeah it's i'm not deaf and i'm a female identifying so it can be difficult sometimes we don't appreciate how important it is for our students to have somebody they can look up to and say look this is what i've achieved just because you're deaf doesn't mean you can't succeed you can be very successful so I'm glad now that you're able to help the students with an area that perhaps you felt you missed out on. Yeah, I think it's important that people do know what they want to do or how do you get more engaged with others? I mean, the NDCS, the National Deaf Children's Society, they've done a mentoring system programme in the past. And I think that's really sort of alerted my attention to this is something that we can do. 
and I'm hoping it's something that can continue for some time you, you know you, you've mentored one student you're going to be going on to another student and you know we're always going to have students coming through who are going to need a little bit of boosting a little bit of encouragement a little bit of guidance so I, I'm hoping that this is a program that we can continue for many years to come so you can't get rid of me Saf. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about time when a situation changed at work and how you dealt with it hmm. I would say Initially, when I first started working at Lanishin, most of the students went out to pretty much all of the lessons apart from the lessons they were disapplied from, like modern foreign languages, Welsh, music, sometimes Sari. But as time has gone on, we are getting increasingly more students with additional needs on top of their deafness. So I think the first example of that, we've got a lad in year 11, the lad that you've just finished mentoring. When he initially came in in year seven, he was out in the mainstream lessons, but he was really struggling with them. So when he came back in year eight, he was pretty much taken off out of all of the mainstream lessons apart from the practical ones and I had him on my timetable a lot so it was about I would say about half of so across we have a two-week timetable we have 25 lessons a week and out of those two two two-week timetables two week a and week b I had him for 50% of my timetable across those two weeks it was quite overwhelming for me I found it, I could feel it was affecting my mental health a little bit. It was like, you know, the same, and that, that might sound a little bit dramatic, but when you are intensely teaching a student, just one-to-one, just the two of you, it was quite overwhelming for me. And it was kind of thinking, right, how am I going to break this down? Because this student needs the foundations. He needs to go right back to basics. And then as time went on, you know, I tried th- different tactics and different lessons and ways of doing things we fell into a routine and I started to really enjoy it so that's definitely an example of somewhere where I've you know I've had a real challenge and things have been really quite different and then that has now become more of the norm we've got more students now who spend a lot of time up in the base and I really enjoy teaching them so with this young man he came up and you know he was sort of working at a level where we were doing sort of key stage one work with him or I was doing key stage work key stage one work with him he is now uh, doing GCSE foundation maths, which I'm so proud of. I mean, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of us as a base. He is an example of a student where if you take him and you wing, you do what is needed for him. He's doing entry level English, which is like a pre GCSE English. He's doing entry level science and he's doing GCSE foundation maths. So he's going to come out with some qualifications, which is absolutely fantastic. Not the qualifications of the be all and end all. You know, qualifications are important, but they're not the be all and end all. And I think that's one of the issues of the education system in the UK. It's like you're a success if you get A's, B's and C's. Yes, that is good, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is who you are as a person and what you do with your life after that. So I feel very passionately about that. That's good, yeah. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, give me an example of when one of your students says something to you that you would never forget. Could be emotional memory or funny anything. I'm dying to know that. Anything. (laughs) I'm going to take it back to you again. (laughs) I don't know if you remember this, but Mrs. Postons, who used to be the head of the base, we do a Secret Santa at Christmas time. Actually, I can't remember if it was Secret Santa or she just got me a present anyway. But anyway, she bought me this little gift and it was this, you know, the Henry Hoover, you know, she bought me a little desk Hoover. It was battery operated. I never worked out how to use it. And I remember you asking me about it, what it was, and I explained and I said that I couldn't work out how to use it. And your response was... Why didn't you ask a man to help you? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what? What are you saying, Sam? Yeah, so I've never forgotten that. Always makes me laugh. I don't think you would say something like that now. I was like, how sexist. <laughs> wow, I remember that one. Yeah, I think um, you told me to ask Mr. Trelawney or something. And I... <laughs> did I? Yeah, because he was your head of year, so he was like a 
prominent man in your life. So yeah, but I never did work out how to use it. So perhaps you were right all along. Or perhaps I could have asked a woman to help me. Can I ask you a question? Go on. Did the man help you? No, I just didn't do anything about it. Oh, no. I don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened to it. I probably just gave it away or chucked it away. I don't know. And that's your fault that you chucked it away. Wow. And I can't believe I said that. Oh, you were young. You are only about 13 or something. Ha. Well, obviously, that was the best one, I reckon. Well, it's not the only one, but it's the one that definitely stuck in my mind. Definitely. What about when someone makes you cry? Oh, gosh. There there was an incident. I mean, there's two types of crying. You've got crying where, you know, somebody's hurt you. When you've got crying where somebody's moved you. I'm going to put something sort of in the middle. I don't want to talk about a time when a child has made me cry. I'm sure they have, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. We've We've got a student in year nine. When he was in year seven, I used to go to lessons with him in maths. And he uh, struggles with his balance. And we were walking down the stairs and he lost his balance. And he felt like about, oh gosh, about nine or 10 steps. My heart stopped. Amazingly, he was pretty okay. And he was able to stand up and walk. But that that absolutely scared me. You know, I had to check out his head and everything. Took him upstairs. It was at the end of the day, you know, we contacted mum and dad. But I remember after he left, I just burst into tears. Because it was just so, it was awful to see, you know, somebody who you're responsible for and who you care about it was one of those moments where time stopped and you know you couldn't flash before your eyes so that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head yeah I got quite upset about that because I was really worried about him but he was fine he's absolutely fine I'm glad he's okay what are the best and worst things that happen to you in my life or as a teacher (laughs) as a teacher as a teacher yeah I guess some of the best things are where you get you know students doing things for you or saying things to you or writing things to you which show how important you were in their life so I've had cards from students you know sort of saying thank you so much for everything you've done for me I remember there was there were two boys who are a little bit older than you they made me a birthday card you know completely you know our paper they put so much effort into it I still got it you know I'll never throw it away uh, those kinds of times we have a teaching assistant now working with us whose daughter I taught and you know she'll tell me things that her daughter said about me and how much she enjoyed my teaching when I taught her in the seven and that just means an awful lot because I know that even for me I there are teachers who taught me in primary school and high school that I remember fondly and I remember you know enjoying their lessons teachers have a big impact on their students and that's why it's so important to be an advocate for them and to show them that you know yes there are boundaries but you care about them and you will do anything that you know that you can for them within limits the worst thing I guess is just you know the early starts in the morning you know you when you, you know it's been a long term or a long half term the worst one is between September and December that's a killer and you know you pick up colds and viruses much more easily and it can be a bit of a it's hard but you know you do it because you love it and I always say to people if you're considering going into teaching for me teaching is a vocation it's a calling it's something that I was built to do and don't go into it unless you are passionate about it it's a hard it can be very hard you know I find it more emotionally tiring than physically tiring because you get very involved with the needs of the students and whatnot but you know if anyone is considering if they're a teacher and considering going into special needs being a teacher to the deaf is one of the most rewarding jobs as a teacher in my opinion okay what does having a deaf student mean to you well it's what I, you know, trained to do to teach deaf students. Deaf students, you know, just like any other human being, they have their quirks, they have their 
you know, their good side and their bad side. What I often find about our deaf students is they're very straight. You know, they'll tell you what they think and they can just come out with the funniest things the funniest things you know like when they mispronounce a word or you know they misunderstand a question and they answer it in a particular way I mean I should write them down but you know we've had some corkers over the years from some of our students I I can't remember one off the top of my head but you know some of the things that they'll come out with you know sometimes they don't understand things that are appropriate or not appropriate and you know you can gauge whether they're being purposely rude or whether they're just saying something and they didn't understand didn't understand what it meant yeah having a deaf student I do say to them because we are a very small base in comparison to the rest of the school I say to them you know I am your schoolman you know and that's how I see myself I have little nicknames for them I have little expressions I remember a few years ago there were lots of expressions that I used to say and when one of them had a birthday I think it was his 16th I wrote all the expressions in the birthday card and they absolutely loved it yeah I think you know do having a, having a deaf student you do have a closer relationship with them because you see them a lot more and there are less of them you know obviously every teacher is not supposed to have a favorite but I have had my favorites over the years I'm not going to name who but yeah it's more of a it's more like a primary school sort of feeling you know the children better because you see them more often yeah it's great so we are having a few games do we oh yes we do you're gonna play a game oh no Oh, it's not that one where you, I have to give the next answer to the previous question. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, come on. You are a great teacher. Can I have a piece of paper and a pen? <laughs> Just in case. I've okay. been on half term, so my brain's not great. Wow. Do you really need a pen and a paper? Wow. Okay, I'm going to have that. Right, okay. It, it's okay. You can work it out. The answer on the paper, okay? Your first question is, what is 8 plus 8? Oh, that's easy. 16. Unless it's a joke. Oh, no. Oh, yes. You're like my husband. He does these fiddles on me. What? It's really easy. 8 plus 8. Yeah. I don't know. 88. Oh, come on, Saf. 88. That's simple. That's the sort of thing my nephew would do. He's 10. (laughs) Another question. Okay. What is... Two plus two. Twenty-two. Are you sure? No, I'm not, but... <laughs> it's fish. That is the answer. What? Oh, come on. It's fish. Simple as that. Two-two? It's nice visual. Two plus two. I'm going to draw this now. Oh, come on. Again, it's fish. I knew it was going to happen. Hang on, it's a marker there. Two plus two. Unless... Oh, I know. It's a backwards two and a forwards two, isn't it? Is that right? Yay me, about time. You got it? Got it. And when you draw it together, it looks like a fish. I thought you were great at this game. What happened? No, the answer. I am great, sir. There are different types of greatness. <laughs> so what is one plus one? Oh, here we go. One plus one equals... Oh, is this the window? You've done this one on me before. Yeah, that's the window. Yeah, you know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> see, I am great. <laughs> <laughs> What is three plus three? Eight. Because look, see? Two threes joined together make an eight. So what's seven plus seven? Seven. Pl- it's a triangle. I'm getting this now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for spelling bee. Yay me. Spelling bee. Yes. Okay. Yes. It is a trick one as well, or is it actually a spelling bee? You wait and see. <laughs> So, how do you spell Safian is just a cool guy? How do you spell Safian is just a cool guy? Oh, yes. Safian is just a cool guy. 
Now, I'm thinking you don't want me to spell those individual words. You have to say it. Safian is just a cool guy. You have to spell it. I have to spell it. Seriously, or is this a trick? It's a trick, and I can tell. Shall I just say D-E-A-F-B-O-N-D? Oh, I accept it. <laughs> I accept it, this one. Bond. Yeah, I kept this one. Yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, I kept this one. Yeah. Oh, wow. You passed. Thank you. I should think so. <laughs> it's not like I can give you a detention anymore, is it? <laughs> what? No, you can't give me the detention. No, I can't. Good, because I'm not in the school anymore. Exactly, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Lovely people who listen to our conversation... So when she mentioned death bond, you're all probably wondering why. Well, I will explain. I used to study creative media course at Bridgend College before, and I talked a lot of people, including teacher too, that I talked about James Bond's film. I love all James Bond's film, and talk on and on and on and on every day non-stop and the all include teacher get butt up and their response was Safiang we not call you anymore we will call you from now on deaf bond I respond was laugh so that's basically what happened yeah when did you leave it's been a while isn't it I think it was about 2013 Gosh, that's 10 years ago, wow. Yeah, that'd be right, isn't it? Because you're 26 now, aren't you? Yeah, so 10 years ago, you would have been 16. In some ways, it feels like longer ago, but 10 years, wow. I remembered you put a picture of me for ITV with on your deaf people image on the wall. Yeah, that's the uh, proud to be deaf display, yeah. So could you explain a bit more about why did you use proud to be deaf? display on the wall well i used a mixture of people i wanted it i wanted it to be a focal point i'd been somewhere i'd been to radicomp to see a lady there who used to do interventions for children who were dyslexic and she had a display which was about uh, famous people who were dyslexic and people who've achieved you know i guess the sort of thing that you know if people could say my dream is to be famous then she was saying look dyslexic people have achieved in that way and i guess that kind of inspired me i mean it was quite a few years later that I did it but I always had it in the back of my mind that I thought it'd be good to have a board where we had a celebration of deaf people so I had a variety I had Millie Bobby Brown who is you know I don't know if she identifies a deaf child but apparently she's deaf in one ear so she's very much identifying as a hearing person but she still you know has a hearing loss and she's gone on to to be a very successful actress and then I had uh I'm trying to Marley I'm trying to remember her name. She won an Oscar, uh, Children of a Lesser God, I think it was called. Uh, so she was on there. There was also an American guy who was a surgeon who was deaf. There was a lady who we had met through one of the special things that was put on for deaf young people. I think it was about careers. She was like the first deaf midwife. She lives in Bridgend, I think. So she was on there. You were on there. Then there was a footballer. His brother, who's hearing, is a, a famous footballer. I can't, again, I can't remember his name. I'm not into football. But he was a deaf futsal player. Uh, who else did we have on there? Oh, the guy from See Here, Julian Palou, something. He's an actor and he's also a TV presenter, so I had him on there. What about, I think I remember it's Neil, who was the acting for the programme called Twist at Birth. I don't think he was on there. You can show me a picture, I don't think he was on there. Oh, and there was the guy who invented the light bulb, Thomas Edison. Oh, wow, okay. 
Oh yes, Niall, Niall, Niall DeMarco. Yes. How could I forget? That was my favourite picture to look at. Yeah, because I knew him from Dancing with the Stars. I've also seen him, he's an actor as well. I've seen him in Station 19, which is a fire station drama. He was in one episode of that. Oh, he was in Switched at Birth, was he? Yeah, he was only acting for couples of Epitos in this show. That's how I know. Ah, yes. Of course, yes. And Aldo Marco, how can I forget? Yes, he was, uh, he was on the board. Yeah, I think he was quite much in the news at that time because he'd not long won Dancing with the Stars, which was fabulous. But of course, oh, and of course, uh, Rose, who won Strictly Come Dancing from EastEnders. Yeah, she was on there as well. Yeah, so. So what had changed after the lockdown from school managing? Well, lockdown was a bit of a nightmare. It was a nightmare for everybody, really, because it was just so sudden and boom, you know, you couldn't leave your house except to go shopping. You couldn't even like go for a walk or anything, I suppose, unless you had a dog. It had a massive effect on schools in general, definitely so for students who were deaf. There was no, there was no easy way to sort of make a way for the, for the students to have access to their work. Initially, nothing was, well, work was put online. It was put on Google Classroom. Initially, different schools used different platforms. But what we did as a base was we allocated different families to different members of staff. So I had three students, two siblings and another... No, hang on. No, I had four students, two who were siblings and two others. And so every week I would touch base with with parents. I would ring and I would say this, that and the other. As time went on and we kind of sort of, you know, got accustomed to lockdown, we would differentiate and annotate the work for the students that they'd been set by their class teachers. Initially in the first lockdown, there was only one teacher who was doing sort of online teaching face-to-face. Initially it was very, you know, safeguarding and all that sort of thing. After we ha- went back in the se- in the June and then in those other lockdowns sort of after Christmas in 2020, 2020, 2021, we were then using, uh, what were we using? Microsoft Teams. So with the physics lessons with this physics teacher, we would attend, so I would attend a lesson for one of my boys who's now in year 13, but he was in year 10 at the time. He, I would attend the lessons and I would write notes for him so that he was able to answer the questions because it's all well and good saying, right, well, it's fine. We're going to do teaching online. But the teacher wasn't always there face to face. They were speaking over a PowerPoint. Then when we started doing Microsoft Teams, it's like YouTube, you could get the subtitles that were coming up. And it'd be like, well, we've got subtitles for the students. Mm, well, that's all well and good, but you don't know that they can access that level of English that the teacher is teaching. So it wasn't an ideal time for anyone, but I think it was particularly difficult for deaf students because there was their access to being able to do their work was much, much harder. I know that a big thing was made about techno- uh, technological poverty, and that was super important too for those students who had, didn't have access to laptops or tablets. But not much was made about, you know, the educational poverty that young deaf people were experiencing because they couldn't access the work or they couldn't access the lessons that were online. Yes, and then the face masks, that was another debacle. You know, we were told we had to wear face masks. Fine, but our students need to see our mouths. So that was a bit of a hoo-ha, bit of a mess, bit of a sort of, you know, took a while to get sorted. We had the face masks, which had like the little window in it. But people were making them, selling them on eBay, but they were not thinking about the fact that, you know, it was, you were breathing on it. And it was misting up. But eventually we managed to get some things from America in the end that didn't mist up. But I hated wearing it. It was like wearing a face sauna. It was so awful. So I would use the visor the most. I was so happy when we didn't have to wear them anymore. So in that respect, things have changed as in we're much more prepared for if anything like that happens again. You know, technologically speaking, we are much more prepared. Much more prepared. I still don't think it's perfect for deaf students. But it was darn sight better than it was when we first went into lockdown. Yeah, that was a real learning curve. That's great. However, I'm quite concerned. I feel like there are not enough deaf awareness. 
No, there isn't. And I think that was very much brought out through lockdown. And not just in schools, but, you know, in society. I have a friend who you know, and uh, she went shopping to... I won't name the shop because that's not fair, but there was a shop near Merfordville. And when she went to go and pay, they were behind a big screen and they had the mask on and she asked them to remove the mask and they refused. And she was really upset because she felt, you know, it's difficult for her to communicate anyway because sign language is her main form of communication, but she couldn't even see their lip patterns. So uh, she told me about it. I said, do you want me to sort it out? She said, yeah. So I had to go, it took me seven weeks of ringing and emailing and going back and forth. I ended up speaking to one of the very high up people in uh, the senior management of the shop. And I said, you know, this isn't right. And they said, well, you have to be able to wear the mask. And then I showed them legislation that said in Wales, no, you can remove it for deaf people. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that. And I'm like, you should know that. And they gave her a £50 voucher and an apology letter in the end. But I had to fight and fight for that. And it was really poor. And the one thing that very much annoyed me was when I spoke to the guy, he said, oh yes, I have a son who's autistic, so I understand. And I was like, that is not the same. You know, autism is another area in which people struggle massively. But please do not compare autism and deafness because it is not the same. It's like you're bunching everything in one group. Sorry, I get very passionate about him. <laughs> it annoys me. Nah, it's so cool. Feel free to share anything. Who has decided to have deaf students join anything? Which is you found someone or you had to have someone who were boss to accept it? That's way before my time. It, when it first set up in the 80s, I was a child. I was younger than you. I guess it would be the county council. I don't know. There used to be two primary schools. There was Kevinon and... Coy Glass, the Kevinon has since closed some years ago, I think closed around about the time you started high school. So it's just Coy Glass. Yeah, so I guess it would be the county council that would have decided that in the first place, that we were the main and only high school with a specialist base. As far as who is able to come to the school as a deaf student, in that respect, up until recently, it would have been, if you were statemented with your hearing impairment or deafness as your primary need, you would be you know, it would be your right to come to the school. It's slightly different now. I'm not quite sure how it works because we've got the new additional learning needs bill that's come in. But yes, if you are, if you have a mild loss or a moderate loss, it used to be when you were there, you would have some students that'd be moderate to severe. But now it's pretty much, you have to have quite a hearing loss in order to be one of the students who comes into the hearing impaired base. Yeah. Do you think the school languishing could make it better with the deaf audience? Well, things can always be better. But what I would say about Lanishan High School is that it is an incredibly inclusive school. Incredibly inclusive school. Yes, there could be more deaf awareness training um, with the staff and with the students. That's always something, you know, that we encourage and we push for. I mean, one of the problems is time, obviously. They do have a unit in year eight in the drama lessons where they do sign language. So in some ways, the school is really good. In other ways, there's always room for improvement. But I have never, in all the years I've been at the school, and I've been there 20 years, I have never known children to be horrendously bullied because of their deafness. There are times when people and kids will say things, you know, they'll pick on the one thing, like if a child has spots or if a child, you know, their clothes don't fit whatever is the fashion, you know, kids will always pick on that thing. But generally, the children are very accepted. The children are very accepting and very open to, you know, just treat our deaf students as being perfectly normal they just happen to have a hearing loss yeah it's we're a very inclusive school we don't just have the hearing impaired base we have the autistic base we have the behavior base we have flexible learning base learning support base we have a base for children who are not able to work in mainstream because of their behavior we even have an off-site base where the children can go which is sort of like a 
in between spot between that and being excluded so yeah things could always be improved i suppose you know more of an emphasis on bsl and deaf awareness week and that sort of thing but in general the school is excellent it's a very inclusive school wow okay so as you heard the bsl act it was now accepted last year april yes do you think it will help do all the deaf people to get better accessible yes and no yes the fact that the law exists is fantastic i know that many deaf people you know protested and fought and it's a wonderful thing that that's been passed but just because a law has been passed doesn't mean that things necessarily change as quickly as you'd like them to change one of the issues is that teaching bsl in schools is that there's a massive lack of people to teach it you have to have a certain qualification we would only want there to be i mean we wanted it to be completely taught at the level that welsh is taught french is taught german spanish is taught in schools you would need a shed load more deaf british sign language teachers then you've got to think are they going to have to be qualified teachers to teach it and i don't think i know of a single qualified profoundly deaf british sign language using as their main language teacher i don't think i know of one i'm sure that there might be some but it's the system that we have in this country is not conducive it's not helpful for profoundly deaf people who are signers to be able to become teachers and if you wanted there to be bsl taught in every single school in wales primary and high school there are not enough deaf people to teach it especially if they're supposed to be qualified and then you've got the controversy of hearing person teaching sign language because i know the deaf community feel very strongly about that so yes it is a possibility that it can help but i think logistically it's a bit of a nightmare and i don't know how that can be helped i think that's something the welsh government need to look at there's also a massive shortage of teachers of the deaf as well hearing and deaf it's a tricky one it's a tricky one so yes it's fantastic that the act was passed but practically i think it's still going to be a fight do you think you can take a part of it and support oh yes i'm very happy to support it it's just that i don't feel comfortable we wouldn't be able to be one of the bsl teachers because we are teachers of the deaf and we teach our deaf students and also i don't think it's appropriate for me to teach it because i'm not deaf I think it needs to be a deaf bsl user i mean i suppose you can argue there are french teachers and welsh teachers who are not french not well the welsh teachers are welsh generally but french teachers who are not french born or raised in a french family i suppose you can say well you know what about coders you know they were raised with bsl as their first language i don't know i'm happy to sign a petition i'm happy to write a letter i'm happy to do any of that but you need a lot more of me <laughs> a lot more me's to do that yeah has any of these deaf students has proved better acceptable outside school. What, you mean when they leave school and they go on to college and jobs and things like that? Yeah, not always. Our department, you know, I am biased, but we are very good at what we do. And we care very much about the students and doing what is best for them. Sometimes when students leave school and they go into college, the support is not as great, which is a shame. There's a shortage of, of teaching assistants at the moment as well so even with the best one in the world if a student if a college wants to hire a teaching assistant it's hard to find them and that's just basic teaching assistants not teaching assistants with sign language skills or the knowledge of working with a child who is deaf i know that's the experience that you had and it makes me cross it make it does make me cross but unfortunately that's the world we live in it isn't right it isn't fair but you know I guess in a way that's why it's really important for me to have you as a mentor to our students to sort of say look you need to fight too you need to take up the battle and you need to fight for yourself as much as have people support you and not everybody has the tools to be able to do that and that's why i like to have you speak to them and say look this is what i did this is how i won this is how i fought yeah okay so 
Has anyone gave you a shy name? Yes. What would that be? Well, they gave me a name and then the sign name kind of came from it. So I didn't really have one when I was Miss Lewington. But since I've gotten married three and a half years ago and my surname is Brumer, which is Romanian, it's I've some of the staff call me Brooms for short, as my nickname. And I think some one of the students who's in year twelve now, she she wasn't sure how to spell it. So she would spell it like B-R-O-M instead of B-R-U-M. So my sign name is Mrs. Brumer, like somebody sweeping with a broom. That's my sign name. Ah, I see. That's why you have a hoover. No, the hoover had nothing to do about it. <laughs> nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was a sign. Who knows? Oh, okay. So from now on, you will use that sign name. That's my that. sign name. Yeah, you can call me like that with a little broom. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to talk about? Like anything? I mean, I would just say that as when... In the past, not so much now, but in the past when I've told people, it tends to be people from other countries who live in countries where the deaf, you know, struggle even more than they do in the UK. I've told them that my father is deaf and I'm very proud that my father is deaf. You know, they tend to be more, oh, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, why are you sorry that my dad's deaf? I said, my, my dad is a successful human being. He's married, he's had kids, he's had a job. You know, he's taught sign language. He's done a mission work amongst the deaf. He's established deaf clubs in the valleys. I'm super proud that my dad is deaf. I'm super proud that I have a job that I love, that I feel passionate about, that I feel, you know, that I was built for, that I was created for. I love the deaf community. I, you know, the deaf are like other human beings in that they, you know, there are people that you will get on with and there are people that you won't get on with. I wish that there was more of a blurring of the lines between the hearing community and the deaf community. But unfortunately, when people don't understand, they sometimes back off from people because they're, in their eyes, different. But I see everyone as equal, and that's how it should be. But I would just say I feel very blessed to be in the job that I'm in. When I was born and when I was growing up, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. But if you told me at the age of six that this is how I would have ended up being, I would be a teacher of the deaf, I would have been blown away. But it seems natural, you know, being born into a family where I have a deaf parent, where I've grown up around deaf people where I've learned to do the fingerspelling and then learned to do the signing. It just seems like a natural course of events where everything has fallen into place. I love my job. There are not enough of us, teachers of the deaf. We need more people. And we need more people to be able to sign as well. But yeah, I'm very happy that I have the job that I have. And I'm very proud to do it. I can see that you do enjoy working with deaf students. Said I do. I love it. I love it. And sometimes I think to myself, you know... I'm nothing special, but then you see people trying to teach deaf children in a class and you're like, you need to do this and this instead. I realise that it's a very niche job. It's a very skilled job. It's a very needed job. I hope that they never take away the legal requirement to teach deaf children to have the qualification of being a teacher of the deaf. It's super important. I also think it would be better if teachers of the deaf learn more sign language. You only have to have level one. As a, you know, you have to have it in order to pass your teacher of the deaf training. Level one is not enough. I've done up to level three. I stopped there because I decided I wasn't going to become an interpreter. I was going to be a teacher of the deaf instead. But yes, I do staff 100% love my job and I love 100% working with deaf students. When you mention interpreter, yes, why do you want to become an interpreter, you know? I found it too stressful in the end. When I was doing my level three, there were supposed to be two teachers on the course and one person wasn't well, so it ended up being one person. And I don't think the course, you know, in an ideal world was run as it could have been or should have been. And I started to not enjoy signing as much. It became more 
I don't know, it became more clinical for want of a better word. It was signing. I wasn't enjoying signing as much like I, I do when I'm si- signing with a friend. Yeah. But I've been able to use my teaching qualification and my sign language qualification and m- meld them together for the perfect job for me. Yeah. You can use it for your hobby. Why not? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I could sign sing, I suppose, but not on YouTube. Don't worry. I know I get backlash for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have. I have done signing with some of the students in school for Christmas carol services and things. I've seen you post on Twitter one of your deaf students signing every week. Yeah, that's not done by me. That's done by one of the teaching assistants. Yeah, they do a sign of the week. I think it seemed quite good. Yeah, it's sign of the because we have our own Twitter page as the Hearing Impaired Resource Base, but we're also linked to Lanishan High School. But yes, we try to uh, big up what the children do and try and you know each of the children, even the children that don't sign, they get a little go at doing sign of the week. Yeah. What makes you think it's a good idea to go ahead for a week every week? Well, it puts a spotlight on the base that we have in school. Sometimes in the past, we can be kind of overlooked because we are a very small group within a very large school of 1,700 students. And also it's out there for the parents to see, for the parents of future students who will be coming to the Hearing Impaired Resource Space so that they can see that we celebrate our students and we celebrate sign language and we celebrate deafness. And some of the teachers, you know, they might pick up on it. So yeah, that's why we do it. We are not shying away. You know, we are here and we want, you know, society to see that we exist and that we flourish when we're successful. That's great. You've got to have to keep going and gong. Yes. Yeah. Never give up. So how many students are there now in a deaf unit? Uh, good question. So we have, I've got to think now. We have three in year seven. Oh, you're going to have to add this up for me, Saf. Okay. So three. And then year eight, we have three. So three add three, and it's not a trick, it's not eight. In year nine, we have three. Oh, look at you right putting that on a piece of paper. <laughs> year 10, we have two. Year 11, we have two. Year 12, we have five. And year 13, we have one. So add that all up. 19, yeah, we've got 19 students at the moment. Yeah, and we have one more coming in, certain in September from Coy Glass, yeah. But then we'll lose two, one in year 13 and one in year 11. So do you think you get more support or you all got enough to support with the big group? We can always do with new support. I mean, our classrooms are not ideal. I love my little room, but I don't have a fire alarm in there. In my old classroom, I used to have the flashing light. So that was put in. So the classroom that I used to be in, that used to be a mainstream classroom. And then when our numbers jumped, when you were in school, we had about 26 deaf students. We needed an extra classroom. So that classroom was given to us, divided into two rooms, and we had the flashing light. Yeah, uh, it would be good if we could have like the soundproofing. So I know that one of the other teachers, she has a room which is next door to an office, and sometimes people will be in there talking and on the phone, and you can hear people. And then on the other side, there's a sixth form autism room, and sometimes they can be banging the wall. So in that respect, yeah. I mean, what would be nice if we had our own area, because we're sort of scattered across different rooms. So learning support is in what used to be the library. The autism base have got their own like uh, buildings we're scattered across all near the sixth form area now which is better because we used to be by the sixth form area and then down the bottom of the history corridor so yeah in that respect it would be nice but we make do yeah i should talk about exam for deaf students yeah yeah how did it work like 
I used to be in that room giving 25%. Was that still the same? Yeah, that still Uh, continues. So you have to register students who are entitled to extra time. So the majority of our students still continue to get 25% extra time and you do the exams with us in the base. You don't have to be in the hall with the other students because obviously you get extra time. The extra time is not stipulated you don't have to sit there for an extra 25 percent, but you have that there if you need it as children are coming in with additional needs we have one student who has 50 percent extra time but that may become more commonplace i know that a lot of the autistic students have 50 percent extra time and they can have exam breaks as well if they're finding it too much but yes yeah, so we we have exam training every now and again at least once a year where the people who are going to be invigilating the exam are given the rules I think 50% is only if the students have additional needs. So the boy that we have in year 12, he has additional needs. So he needs extra time because he's he's had other health issues. So he needs extra time because of that. But in general, the deaf students get 25%. And that's the same, not just in exams, but it's also in tests and in practicals and in speaking and listening. So anything which is being assessed, they can have 25% extra time. That's good to get them more time. So I have to say something to those lovely people who listen to our conversation. You all probably thinking like, why Beth mentioned my name a few times? I will explain. As you may or may not know that she was my teacher as a qualified teacher of the deaf. And I used to study at that school where she still work. So now you all know, you know Beth. You are amazing at what you do and what makes you good at it. The best teacher for the job at Langerson, as a teacher of the deaf. Also, I want to say a big thanks for being part of this conversation. I hope you all lovely people enjoyed listening to our conversation. So that's it really. Thanks for listening and peace.